Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the 100th episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. This is it, 100 episodes. I am so excited to be sharing this journey with you and sharing our collective knowledge as we work toward our most productive dream gardens. This episode, we're celebrating with some input from you telling me all about what you wish you knew then that you know now about gardening. And I'll share some of my hard-earned lessons too. And spoiler alert, I'm still learning. And every time I learn something new, I'm sharing it with you. Let's dig in to our 100th episode. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So when I first started this podcast back in February of 2021, I did it because I wanted to share the knowledge I had gained while studying for my horticulture degree from Oregon State University. Other than helping our farm business, I really didn't have any plans for utilizing my degree after graduation. I mean, honestly, using it to help the farm would absolutely have been enough. There were things I learned in school that I hadn't learned through experience in my own gardens yet. So getting that knowledge and then getting to put it into practice has absolutely been invaluable to us. And I think that's why I wanted to do something more with it, share it in some way. I thought I might start giving classes here on the farm or build an online library of short little courses that people could take if they didn't have any interest in becoming a master gardener or going to school for horticulture, but maybe just wanted to know how to grow a darn tomato or how to recognize if the weird thing happening with their plant was an insect or a virus of some sort. But... Doing classes here on the farm wasn't feasible yet with really no demonstration area that was suitable, and creating courses, even many ones, takes time. I was driven to get this information out to anyone who wanted it. Yes, I can be a very impatient person. I'm not sure exactly how I landed on the idea of a podcast, but I do know that as soon as I spoke it out into the world, which really was just to my husband at first... I knew it had to become a reality. And my husband, of course, facilitated this by quietly researching podcasting equipment and then buying me what I needed to get started as my graduation present. He's a keeper, y'all, I tell you. So here we are, a year and a half and 100 episodes later, with listeners in 48 countries, with me happily answering questions and even creating a TikTok account and getting ready to venture into YouTube. There, I said that one out loud now too. (laughs) I just love 
being able to interact with you and give advice and help you however I can to get the best garden and the best harvest you can get. If there's anything you want or need from me as we continue this journey together, please let me know. This podcast and my content is only as good as you make it. You have to be getting value from it or it's really just me talking to myself, all right? DM me on social media, email me from the contact page at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or leave me a voice message at the link in the show notes and tell me what you want from this podcast and the other content that I'm creating. I mean, this whole thing is for you, so you should have some say in it. All right, let's jump in to what you wish you knew back when you started gardening. What type of advice would you give yourself? So this first one comes from Instagram and it's from at Davis Family Farm. This is Laura and Mike and they are gardening in Wisconsin. They said, keep a journal to track things like dates and locations of plantings, tasks, and weather. It will help so much when looking back for questions or future planning. I cannot stress enough how helpful this is and it took me so long to catch on. Not only are you writing down your garden plan, You can keep track of your crop rotation, the weather to see how it affected your plants and your yield at different times of the season, your actual harvest if you're trying to increase your productivity, the kinds of bug pressure that you have at certain dates so you can predict what's coming the next year. After having done this for multiple years in a row, you have a volume of knowledge to look back on to help you get better and better each year. What you put in the journal is up to you, but the more detail you have, the better help it would be. So this is great advice. Now, I put just about everything into my garden journal. It starts with my seed inventory and the timing of my seed starting in early spring, when I should uh, transition my plants outside. It includes drawings of the garden beds and what's going where. I make notations every week about the tasks that need to happen, the weather pattern, um, what insect pressure I'm seeing, what diseases are popping up, and what I've done about those things, and notes about what the outcome was so I know whether or not it worked. Um, I write down harvest dates and notes about the harvest. Uh, the schedule for when to start my seedlings for fall harvest and when to plant those out in the garden along with direct sowing, that's all in there. Literally anything I observe about the garden goes in that binder. And the more notes I take and the more years that I do it, the better my garden becomes and the better gardener I become. I can't say it enough. Keep a garden journal. So yes, this was absolutely fantastic advice. So this next one comes from Instagram also, and it is from at a year on the farm. This is Kimberly Allen, and she is the host of the podcast, A Year on the Farm. And she is gardening in Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. I believe that's a zone 8B, um, which is a little bit warmer um, than we are here in West Central Missouri. And you know, honestly, for the longest time when I thought about okay, gardening in Canada, I really thought of just cold short seasons, but she seems to have a really great growing climate. And what Kimberly said was, be in it for the long game. Real food isn't fast, but there is so much reward in it. 
There is not a whole lot in gardening that is instant gratification. I mean, maybe other than pulling weeds or killing tomato hornworms or something. But the fastest crop that you can grow is a 28-day radish. And there are many crops that take months or even years to produce. Think about asparagus or fruit trees. If you get it into your mind that good food takes time and that the process of growing the food is almost as important as the actual food itself, you're less likely to get impatient. I was absolutely an impatient gardener when I started. The thought of planting fruit trees and waiting like three to five years to harvest anything or planting asparagus and not being able to pick for two years, that was all super frustrating to me. I never let the spring-planted strawberries take their time to root in, and I always let them go to fruit, despite everything I'd read that said, don't let them fruit the first year. Pick the blooms so they can get fruit that was bigger and better the next season. Nope, not me. And my strawberry patches suffered for it for almost five years. Now, now, <laughs> I'm looking at more perennials to plant. What can I put in the garden that may take a few years to start producing, but that doesn't need to be replanted again and again and again? My mindset has shifted a little bit on that one, although I do still get impatient waiting for the first berries of the season. And speaking of mindset, the next Instagram uh, response was from at the brand Erica, and this is Erica Linacek. She is the host of the Rural Mindset Podcast. She is in Alberta, Canada, and that is zone 3B, so a stark contrast from where Kimberly is growing in British Columbia. And Erica said, you can, in fact, overwater plants. Not everything needs to be watered daily. In fact, less is more for me. Absolutely. I have been guilty of giving the garden too much love in the past. In fact, I'll bet more gardeners kill their plants with kindness than with neglect. Very rarely do I see people post pictures of plants that are brittle and dry from underwatering. It's usually stress from too much water, or even worse, watering every day but only a very shallow watering. I'm a big proponent of checking the soil moisture before watering anything, even in a container. So yes, Erica, this is, this is great advice. You can, in fact, overwater your plants. So this next one is a voice message from someone whose voice you may recognize. Hi, Karen. This is Ashley. I just want to first congratulate you on 100 episodes. What an incredible achievement. I know how much work and time and effort you put into all of these episodes. So thank you and congratulations. Now, when it comes to what I wish I knew when I started gardening, honestly, I wish I knew all the ways that it was going to change my life. Not just the feeling of pride and self-reliance that came from growing all of my own vegetables, but also the sense of community that I would develop with fellow gardeners and homesteaders and people in the online and in-person garden community. And of course, that led me to connect with you and the rest of the awesome women in our Positively Farming Media group, and even just the other homesteaders on Instagram and um, everything, everything that came with gardening. It completely changed my life, and I am so grateful for you continuing to share everything that you share week after week. And uh, congratulations again. I am super proud of you. Thank you, Ashley. I am so happy to have connected with you too. 
In case you didn't recognize her, that was Ashley Constance from the A Little Self-Reliant podcast. You heard from her back on episode 98 of this podcast. And I agree with Ashley. There is a great sense of accomplishment that comes from growing your own food. You've heard me say it before. There is power in food. But the community that comes with talking and sharing with like-minded individuals or those who are striving toward the same goals you have can also be very powerful. I mean, I talked at the beginning of this episode about how much I enjoy hearing from you and talking with you about gardening. And this extends to the online gardening groups I'm a part of and the in-person groups I've gotten to meet with. The exchanging of ideas and the discovering of unique ways that people tackle common problems in their garden and then sharing that technique with others, then there's the commiserating when we're all going through a really bad drought or a heat wave or flooding or some insect plague that's destroying our gardens. I'm looking at you, Japanese beetles. These human connections are just one more way that gardening is a powerful experience. And I agree with Ashley. It's not something that I ever expected, but it is certainly something that I love. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So this next one is another one from Instagram, and it's from at Ross Roost Farm. This is Bev Ross from the We Drink and We Farm Things podcast. She lives in Ohio, and her growing zone is pretty close to what mine is here. I'd say a 6A or 6B maybe, although I think they may get more moisture than we do. And Bev's advice was use All the weed cloth if you live in a place that plants thrive without intentional care, like rainy southern Ohio. Without weed cloth, I grew more weeds than food and spent so much gardening time just trying to keep up on them and failing by midsummer. And I had replied, yes, we even use mulch over top of the weed cloth, and Bev agreed. (laughs) So once you discover the best way to do something in your garden, it can be such a game changer. Whether that's learning that a deep mulch system in your area works best for preventing weeds and retaining moisture, or maybe that using shade cloth helps keep your tomato production going because you are in a super hot climate. Finding what works for you can definitely be trial and error, and unfortunately, it can be a lot of years of failing before you finally hit the sweet spot. If someone could just tell us from day one exactly what would work best for what we're growing in our little microclimates, boy, wouldn't that be wonderful. But alas, it's usually trial and error. But at least you've got your fellow gardeners on this podcast shouting out what's worked for them. So you can try it too. Maybe that'll cut out some of the pain. This next one comes from the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. Lynn Cluley gardens in Montana. She is zone 5A. And she started gardening four months ago. So we have a new, new gardener. 
She posted a picture of her beautiful little greenhouse, which is just lush with plants right now. And she said, I wish I had understood how important spacing would be. Now I can't find some of my plants under others and I'm having to uproot things to move them apart. So this has absolutely been a learning experience for me too. For some plants, it's been about putting them too closely together, but for others, it's been learning that they need to be closer together in our area to be successful. You always go by the recommended plant spacing on the tag or the seed packet, right? But after a while, it just may make sense to experiment a little bit. I love pushing the boundaries with plants, interplanting stuff in the understory of taller plants or planting them a little more closely together to see if I can pack a few more plants into the bed. It absolutely has bitten me in the butt a few times, like when I crammed way too many tomato plants into the raised bed in our greenhouse and then I found myself having to climb into the center of the bed to thin out the foliage so those poor plants could breathe and then not even being able to see the tomatoes when they were ripe. Or pushing the limits on the number of head lettuces we planted in a bed only to have them rot underneath because there was too much moisture and not enough airflow. And the snail situation was absolutely out of control. But hey, the only way we learn what works well for our microclimate and our garden setup and our gardening style is to experiment. Lynn, I am glad that you're experimenting and already learning so much only four months into your gardening experience. Our next one is an Instagram response and it comes from at FarmingMRT. This is Marina Schmidt. She is gardening in southwestern Ontario, Canada. And she said, beets look like weeds when they emerge. Don't pull them thinking they're weeds. Um, Y'all, my husband did this to me. <laughs> One of the first few years that we were gardening for the public, I had planted two really big beds of beets for the very first time, along with all of my other spring garden stuff. My husband was still working a job out in town at the time, and so he was helping on the farm in the evenings and on the weekends. I'd said something about the weeds already being out of control, and he decided he would go out and weed the garden on a weekend afternoon while I was working on some other stuff, and he very proudly announced to me what he had done later in the day. I, of course, was super happy that he'd gotten all that done for me, and so it was just one more thing off my plate. Until I went out into the garden the next day, and I realized that my beet bed was completely stripped. And so I went and asked him what happened to the beets, and he had no idea what I was talking about. So after a little more discussion and a walking of the bed, he admitted that he thought they were weeds because they were all coming up red, and he had pulled out every single one of those beet seedlings. Now, as upset as I was about the loss of my beets, I couldn't help but feel really bad that he had spent so much time hand pulling hundreds of beets out of the ground and leaving whatever else was there thinking he was doing such a great job. I just couldn't be mad at that point. Needless to say, he's never mistaken a beet seedling for a weed again, and he checks and double checks with me before messing with anything in any of the garden beds. And finally, we have one last voice message. Hey Karen, love the show. This is uh, Andrew Miller calling from uh, southern New Jersey, uh, the, the Garden State. 
Um, I have a small vegetable garden that I started in the backyard a couple years ago just to get the kids interested. Um, but now it's turned into a really fun hobby. And uh, I guess the one thing that I wish somebody had told me before I started was to save the seed packet that I got from the store. It might seem basic, but for me, it's like uh, once these things start growing, I, I say to myself, well, what, what kind of peas are these? Uh, you know, do I eat the pea pot or do I let the peas grow inside? That kind of thing. Uh, but of course, I threw the seed packets out after I planted the seeds. Uh, kind of a not a great move because um, there's some vital information on that packet for me. Um, I guess the one other thing that I wish somebody had told me was to listen to your podcast because I'm learning a lot. So thanks again for the show, Karen. Take care. Aw, thanks, Andrew. Andrew, along with his buddy Pete, um, hosts the Two Can Play That Game podcast. And I was actually a guest on their show a few weeks ago talking about a farming board game called Fields of Arla. And Andrew mentioned at the time that he was listening over here. So I'm very, very glad that you called in, Andrew. Thank you. And such good advice, too. Well, the seed packets, not listening to me. Well, maybe both. Okay, anyway. I have stacks of seed packets every season that I've saved after starting seedlings or direct sowing in the garden for this exact reason. You may have it written on your garden plan. You may have it on a tag in the garden itself. But you never know what may happen to all of those things. And you really don't want to be eating the pod on shelling peas because they're tough and fibrous and nasty. Some seed packets have great amounts of information, others not so much, but you can always use that as a reference point for looking up details online. When you've got a bunch of different types of things in the garden or different varieties of the same things, it's helpful to have a reference. Just ask my husband, who waited several weeks for our green zebra tomatoes to turn red one year, not realizing those particular tomatoes stay green when they're ripe. So when they started rotting on the vine, he decided to ask me what was up with those tomatoes. <laughs> My poor husband. But saving seed packets also helps with things like days to maturity. If a variety is new to you and it doesn't start producing at the same time as the rest of your other varieties, you might become concerned. But if you can look back at that packet of lemon cucumbers, for example, and realize that they take a few weeks longer to begin bearing fruit than your standard cucumbers, well, it'll give you some peace of mind that nothing's gone wrong and the plant is doing what it's supposed to be doing. I've even taken to laminating the seed packet and then stapling it to a popsicle stick and pushing it down into the garden bed so I knew exactly what was planted there, especially when I'm doing little experimental varieties. What advice do I wish I'd had when I first started gardening? Well, there's a ton, actually, but I think the one that often gets overlooked but that truly makes such an enormous difference is to pay attention to the soil. And this is kind of all-encompassing. Doing a soil test to know what nutrients you're starting with, knowing the soil pH, and knowing what kind of soil you have. If I had known to look at all of that when I first started, I would have been leaps and bounds ahead of where I was in my second or third year. I admittedly got very lucky the first few years that I gardened. From that little corner in my suburban duplex backyard to the five acres that was former cattle pasture, I got really lucky that my gardens produced bounties for me. It wasn't until things started to produce less and less and the weeds began to become a problem and the bugs started descending that I started to question what was going on and what the root cause of those problems might be. 
figuring out that I had clay soil that wouldn't grow carrots very well unless I continued to add organic matter back into the soil was important. Knowing that my soil was very alkaline and needed to be amended to keep the pH in an acceptable range. Understanding that if I took nutrients out of the soil by pulling the crops, well, those nutrients somehow had to be put back or the health of the plants and the nutritional value of what I harvested would suffer greatly. All of those things go back to the condition of the soil. And the soil was honestly probably the last thing that I was paying attention to at first, ironically. I mean, we don't know what we don't know, right? And that's the whole reason why I do this podcast. I'm trying to help people avoid the pitfalls and the mistakes and all the other things that make gardening a challenge. There are plenty of things to learn on your own because like I said, each of our microclimates and gardening situations and gardening styles is different. There's a learning curve in that in and of itself. There is no reason why we all shouldn't get a little bit of a head start when it comes to the rest of what it takes to cultivate our dream gardens. And I am still learning right alongside you. I constantly read and listen and try new things. I change my mind about the best practices for things. And then science shows us new and better ways to do things too. I'm constantly a student and at the same time a teacher. And I think we can all be that way. Sharing our knowledge with each other only makes our own gardens better. So... Let's look forward to another 100 episodes of this podcast together, shall we? I am so very grateful to you for popping me in your earbuds each week or listening while you drive or mow the lawn or do housework or whatever. Thank you so very much for being here. And until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to Patreon.com slash JustGrowSomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon. Once heard someone say, a podcast is like a garden. The gardener puts in the effort, but everybody benefits. I think that's pretty accurate. This podcast is a labor of love, and I hope that every one of you is reaping the benefits. If you get lots of great information from this podcast and would like to support it monetarily, you can do that by becoming a patron for as little as $2 a month over on Patreon. I'd like to thank my patrons for supporting this and every episode of the Just Grow Something podcast, and if you'd like to join them, go to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething. The link is in the show notes.